is to support and help others achieve their goals. They're not our goals. Um, so, you know, we're there to help and support something bigger um, than the gym. And that's okay. Like, don't get us wrong. Like, we love PRs and we love slamming bars. Uh, we get really excited when we shift big tens. But at the same time, that big tin is there for, uh, for a greater purpose. And if uh, we're struggling, you know, it's the way we've developed our system as well. Like, if we're struggling six to eight weeks to put, you know, two and a half, five, or even six kilos on a lift, you know, we really reflect on um, is that time worth it? Or is that time worth going into probably a more complex lift or a coordinative lift? Because, uh, you know, absolute force is, you know, relatively met for that level of athlete. Can we go down uh, a different route to, you know, complement, once again, complement their sports and improve their sports, not just their deadlift, for say? I'm Danny Lucchini, and this is the Merakai Performance Podcast. Welcome to episode 12 of the Merakai Performance Podcast. You were just listening to Alexander Cortez uh, speaking about our role as complementary uh, to sport and how it's important for strength conditioning coaches, 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 coaches. Uh, we are not there to, to be the superstars, we're there to make superstars. And uh, that formed a large premise of the chat today as we talk about working with youth and Alex's competency-based periodization or progressions. Uh, so as I said, on today's episode, we have Alexander Kurtelis. Alex is a strength and conditioning coach who is one of the owners of Integrated Bodies in Mackay, Queensland. They focus on delivering complementary training services to a wide range of populations, but with a major focus on youth athletic development. Alex has previously worked in professional and semi-professional rugby league and rugby and carries with him a strong former education and array of practical experience. Alex was actually my supervisor uh, back between 2015 and 2017 when I spent time working at the West Tigers Rugby League Club and I learned a lot from him and he was a great supervisor to have, uh, very practical, very hands-on, was always, oh, sorry, was never afraid to give me an opportunity to, to get my hands dirty and really get involved. And it's awesome to have an opportunity to chat to him now, uh, you know, a few le- few years later as we both progressed in our careers into different places and, and taken our lo- knowledge into the private sector into our own specific fields. This episode is not only full of practical coaching advice and uh, Alex is really open and willing to share his his uh, systems and his processes, but it also has some great career progression advice and some really useful uh, information for up-and-coming coaches who want to make it further in this industry. So in today's show, we discuss Alex's background and how he got to where he is. We discuss developing your own coaching style and knowing when to move forward with your career. We do talk quite extensively about complementary training and the uh, competency-based progressions as mentioned in the title of the show. We talk about the foundations of athletic training for youth and the role that fun uh, and enjoying the process and enjoying the training itself has. Uh, We discuss in-depth Alex's philosophy around position, pattern, power, and how uh, setting those up gives you the best base, so the real importance of foundations. As I said, he generously shares his training strategies, and we discuss how to maintain motivation and buy-in when working with youth. We talk about the considerations around weight training for youth. We use, we discuss the differences between force and complexity-based progression and when it's suitable to use one or the other. And that's kind of what we're talking about at the start too in that first clip you heard of Alex. Uh, we talk about using training as an assessment and the assessment as training. We talk about specificity in training and where it fits in. We discuss Alex's speed training strategies and how he would structure that when working with team sports as far as when to periodize and how to time that properly. We talk about the implications of early specialization in youth and how it can lead to overuse considerations. And we finish with some really useful advice for new coaches as Alex shares his wisdom and knowledge uh, uh, with us all. I hope you today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode once again. Thank you for listening. And without further ado, here is today's episode. Okay, and welcome to another episode of the Merikai Performance Podcast. Today, I have with me Alex Cortez. Welcome to the show, man. G'day, Dan. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We've uh, we've been trying to get this on for a while. We originally were booked in just before the COVID lockdowns happened, so we postponed and then we postponed again. But we're here today, so it'll be worth the wait. I hope. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited, mate. And sorry it took us uh, so long, um, but, you know, good things are worth the wait, hopefully. 
So just to give some uh, quick background, Alex used to be my supervisor uh, when I was doing my practical hours and work experience uh, with an NRL team. And uh, we sort of kept in contact ever since and we've both moved on to different things. Uh, but it's really great to be able to catch up today and, and get into his mind a little bit about the work he's been doing. He taught me a lot when I was working with him and uh, now hope to learn a little bit more today as well. So Alex, did you want to get it started by taking us through your journey? Uh, what got you into coaching and you know, your general progression and where are you now? Uh, yeah, sure thing. So um, I think uh, like many people going through those late high school years, you start kind of thinking about uh, what's the plan for the rest of your life because it takes up a fair bit of it. Um, and then for mine, it was, I knew I wanted to work in sports, but I didn't know how to work in sports. Um, there wasn't a lot of, too many people around me at that stage to direct me really down that sports avenue. Um, and then when I reflected on it a little bit, um, when I thought about playing sports myself, you know, I realised that I really loved uh, Tuesday and Thursday when the game day was on Saturday. So I really loved the training process. Um, there probably was a little bit about me that was uh, training a little bit like Tarzan and play like Jane. Um, so, you know, that training process was, um, the thing that I enjoyed and then I uh, found out that, um, you know, potentially something like physiotherapy, um, you know, was in that, around that sports space. So um, I looked at university courses. Um, I didn't get the marks for uh, physiotherapy at the time, um, but I was able to get into exercise science and I thought I was going to use that as a bit of a bridging um, course to get into physiotherapy uh, in that time. I found, uh, did a placement with physiotherapy and realised it wasn't really what I uh, wanted to do, particularly in a clinic setting, uh, a lot of that acute injury management. Um, you know, those roles at the time were, you know, get the potential athlete to, you know, walk and jog again. Um, my uh, interest was definitely in maybe getting that basketball to, you know, slam dunk again or, you know, get that rugby league wingers to be able to get those cool aerials, land and score a try. So, uh, I kept pushing with exercise science. Um, I was out at Charles Sturt University, Central West New South Wales, um, in a little town called Bathurst, um, where I did my degree. Um, within my degree, I did an internship. So straight away, once I started coaching or started doing that internship um, through strength conditioning coaching, I fell in love with it pretty quickly. Um, and from there, it all kind of like snowballed a little bit um, to go through it pretty quickly. That internship required me to do a placement within a professional or elite sport environment. Um, I did that at the Waratahs in Super Rugby. Um, from that one-week placement with the Waratahs, I was asked if I wanted to do an internship for the following year with the Super Rugby team, which um, I dove at. Um, and then um, that kind of led into an academy role and then a rehab role. Um, I was lucky enough at the Waratahs to, you know, retrospectively, I was very lucky to have uh, a great uh, launching platform into my career. Um, I was there, I got there the same year that Michael Checker got there. So from a you know a head coaching perspective, I'll learn a lot from him. Uh, he's a superstar in business and in coaching. And then my two superiors at the time, Tom Tomlinson and Hayden Masters, both went on to represent uh, their nations in, in rugby. So Tom works for England Rugby Football Union um, as a head strength conditioning coach. I learned from him. And then Hayden Masters then went on to be the Wallabies head of um, performance for quite a few years. Um, and then I went to the West Tigers, um, working in the State Cup and supporting the NRL program where I met some fantastic people. Um, a lot of them were actually people who I was guiding, like yourself, Dan, um, Sam Cataldo, Mitch Henderson, all have gone on to do pretty fantastic things. Um, and then in that space as well, following from that, I took a position um, up in Mackay, North Queensland um, with the Cutters in the Intrust Super Cup as the head of performance. Um, kind of a bit of a lateral move, I guess, a little bit. Um, really wanted that managerial role and to take full charge of a program and got to do things my way, which is a really awesome learning experience. In the two years I was uh, at the Cutters, um, my wife and I also had our second and third baby, uh, or baby, sorry, and from there, uh, life took over a fair bit and I just started prioritising some things and I looked forward into my career a little bit and, you know, if I got my head role or my, sorry, my uh, ideal job in those times, um, what does that come with? You know, especially in around COVID this year, that comes with a lot of stress, especially when trying to support a family, um, you kind of year to year or, you know, small year contracts, small term contracts. Um, 
So for me, I really wanted to uh, be brave enough to be the person that I wanted to identify myself with, which was a family man. Um, so then I made a decision this year, I transitioned into working in a school setting and uh, looking to continue that until the kids grow old. That's awesome. Uh, and yeah, quite a, I guess it's a common sort of story. A lot of people want to go into physio or something like that and end up taking up exercise science. And when you have that little bit of extra time to think and to experience so many people, including myself, make that shift into the performance side. And I guess that's kind of one of the benefits of uni. And sometimes it gets, you know, when young coaches are starting out, they're trying to decide if they should just go, you know, get the, get the basic accreditations and then start working or spend time in uni. I don't think there's the best way, but that way it definitely gives you time to mature and really think about what you actually want to do with your work. And not that that ever stops, but it's, it's um, a forced opportunity there, I guess. And uh, yeah, we had uh, Mitch on Mitch on the podcast for people that have, have been listening to a few episodes. So he was on a few weeks ago and that was cool to be able to chat with him too. And uh, we've gone sort of full circle. I mean, so I have to get Sam on next and <laughs> bring him in. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. I reckon Sam would have a lot of cool things to share with us. Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, one of the you know, reasons for that bit of lateral shift up to Mackay there was to do things your own way. And, uh, you know, I'm personally someone who loves that autonomy as well. And what did that look like? What was, you know, what is your own way? What What things were you looking to change or... You know, how did you go about creating your own program, your own style, I guess we could call it? Yeah, so I think what that looks like is um, in the time when you're learning the craft from other people, you always, or I was, ticking over things in your head in the background going, okay, well, would I do this? Would I not do that? Um, and you get to a point in your career, I think, or in any endeavour that uh, when you start not headbutting, but when you start really finding it challenging to do it other people's way, it's a really good sign that you've hit, you know, um, a, a phase in your career or, or building your craft that um, you're ready to, you know, go run your own risks um, and learn from your own mistakes. And that was kind of happening to me. There was a lot of things happening that, um, you know, no way is the right way. Um, but I had like opinions and biases uh, in another direction. And I was just really keen to explore that. So that's what really kind of like pushed me out of the nest a little bit. Um, and then you know, when I got up um, to Mackay and running it my own way, I was very you know lucky that the people ahead of me, the coach and the, the CEO of the club as well, were very um, supportive of, you know, we hired you to do the job. So whatever you need to do or want to do, um, go for it. And that was just things like prioritizing different qualities within an athlete, um, recovery modalities, uh, expectations, behavior stuff. Um, but then even in that, uh, I went through a really steep learning curve because, you know, I had my, a lot of my learning in full-time professional sports where you have them, you have the athletes eight hours to nine hours a day. Um, and I had this ideal program to run in that environment and trying to truncate that into a three hour program, more or less with, um, a, a, a semi-professional organization or a state cup team was quite confronting. And then so it probably saw me within my first year. Um, go pretty hard out at them and then realize that hold on that these guys are semi-professionals they hold down full-time work that experience I've understood before um, but there's just a different climate and culture and in, in North Queens and expectations and um, so from there I guess I was still learning I was making those mistakes as I, as I was going and learning from them and able to evolve the program every year that I was there. Yeah great and that's that's one of the, the big things. It's that's, that's the art of coaching right there. Like we develop these ideas, we develop these systems, but if you can't apply it, you know, in the environment or with the people, if you can't meet the people where they are, it's never going to be as effective. And that's that constant dynamic learning and dynamic process that we, we need to be open to no matter where we are and whatever our role is. And you also brought up a really important point there. It's like, sure, we get to that point where it's like, I want to start trying things. I want to start doing things. That's really exciting. But we have to be really conscious, conscientious and aware of the, the risks. And that's part of the fun yeah. uh, of knowing that, you know, the responsibility comes from you and the positives are also going to be your reward, but so are the negatives. So you've got to be ready to own up to both, which is an important thing to bring up uh, for people that are into that transition phase. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit now about the work you're doing currently. Uh, so you said you're working with the school population now. Uh, do you want to talk us a little bit about the business and sort of the different uh, athletes and clientele you come working in there and the work that you're doing with them? 
yeah, so um, I guess I'm pretty lucky at the moment when I've transitioned to the school environment. Um, so I work at a school um, up here, the Sunday Anglican School, um, as well as um, co-own a business um, in town called Integrated Bodies. And uh, Integrated Bodies, the business, um, is an athletic development centre. Um, it's a training facility that we really target um, complementary training. So the idea is that um, whoever comes into the gym um, has a greater purpose and they're trying to achieve something outside the gym. So that natural market inherently um, gets a lot of our youth athletes um, uh, up on those high representative levels. Um, at the moment, we have um, some very high level representative regular league athletes. You know, roughly we service from nine all the way up and our oldest member is 65. But, you know, um, the, cr the crux of the people we serve from a youth athlete perspective is around that 15 to 18 year old market. Um, the big sports here in Mackay, um, you know, rugby league, netball, hockey is really big. Um, so that's kind of like the clientele that we're serving. So what we're trying to do is uh, they've all already got a really good, um, you know, coaching program or sports-specific program. And so what we're doing is trying to lay the foundations of good, solid, long-term athletic development. Um, so that can be uh, – they can complement their sports training with those skills, which is probably the – the lacking or the difference between, you know, regional areas compared to the big CBDs is that, you know, the talent and the skills, they're more or less. Uh, it's just those uh, opportunities to utilise those complementary services. And that's the kind of like hole we're trying to fill from a business perspective at Integrated Bodies. Yeah, great. Yeah, and that, that's a huge thing when it comes to just opportunity and being able to provide that is super important. And uh, I also like how it's termed as complementary training. Uh, where within I'm someone that works within the private strength conditioning world and something that I see a lot of the time is private strength conditioning coaches try to take over everything and they forget or they don't uh, account for the training that they're already doing and the work that they're already doing with their coaches and just framing it as complementary training is already setting the tone for what you are doing and setting that standard and that that intention there as well which I think is great. Yeah, we've, we've even found, like, we've had a lot of success even with that being a piece of our philosophy um, in, the, in the fact that it's not about us. Like, we're very, it's our people and our purpose is to support and help others achieve their goals. They're not our goals. Um, so, you know, we're there to help and support something bigger um, than the gym. And that's okay. Like, don't get us wrong. Like, we love PRs and we love slamming bars. Uh, we get really excited when we shift big tins. But at the same time, that big tin is there for, uh, for a greater purpose. And, if uh, we're struggling, you know, it's the way we've developed our system as well. Like if we're struggling six to eight weeks to put, you know, two and a half, five or even six kilos on a lift, you know, we really reflect on um, is that time worth it or is that time worth going into a, probably a more complex lift or a coordinated lift? Because, uh, you know, absolute force is, you know, relatively met for that level of athlete. Can we go down uh, a different route to, you know, complement, once again, complement their sport and improve their sports not just the deadlift for say. Yeah. And that's another huge, huge one. It's like, sure. Getting, getting these numbers makes us look great as coaches, but if it doesn't improve the athleticism, then who cares really? Um, I know the athlete doesn't. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, and I have no doubt that you uh, still have that, that love feeding PRs. And one of the stories I love telling people about my time at the Tigers was um, you'd sort of be sitting in the office. Sometimes I might be working with Sam and you'd walk into the office and be like, all right, let's go. We're going to go three hour MR a tall kneeling shoulder press or a bicep curl or something and into the gym we go and just try and max something out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's fun. I think, yeah, definitely. Like, even with athletes, right, and coaches as well, like, you get into sports um, for the fun and for the enjoyment, whether that's on the coaching side or the athlete side. And if you don't bleed that into the process somewhere or somehow, and sometimes that does go against, you know, some performance philosophies. But um, if that fun's not there, uh, you quickly find your head or you can find yourself, sorry, beating your head against the wall and um, takes, ironically enough, all the fun out of it. And mm. we've got to find a way to put it back in. And, and talking about those um, those memories, mate, I still hold heaps of things that you used to say or do uh, very close to myself when I kind of understand or try and understand what strong is. Um, you know, you're telling me that um, we were talking about body weights in competitions and stuff like that. And we are trying to, some people were trying to hold on to weight or keep weight. And you remind me that, there's no uh, weight class in the jungle. So if you have to go rip someone head, someone's head off, rip the barbell's head off like a lion, um, go do it. So, uh, mate, you taught me a lot as well. And uh, I continue a lot of the things that you shared with me into what I do every day. 
Yeah, the uh, the no way class in the jungle. I think I say that at least at least once a day. Still to this point, it's just it's a favorite. It's a favorite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, like you mentioned right at the start, one of the first things you mentioned was you got into this for that love of training. So if we can't if we can't share that, and I guess in a lot of ways keep that ourselves, because if I'm training someone and that athlete or that individual is not having fun, then I'm not either. And then why am I even? I'm doing this. I got into it for this love of training. We need to, I think we need to respect that and find ways to make that applicable throughout all the different phases. Sure. There's work to be done. Um, but there has to be that, that love that is underlying all of it to really get the most out of it. You mentioned now that I guess your guys, so complementary training is about, uh, creating those foundations for long-term athletic success. What are those foundations? Yeah. Um, Great question, uh, loaded question. Uh, yes. As you can tell, if you go down uh, rabbit holes or speak about an autobiography pretty quickly, but um, <laughs> for me, to keep it really, really simple, um, I think something that always keeps um, us aligned at Integrated Bodies and what we're doing, and probably what I do as a coach as well. Um, I think I nicked it from uh, Athlete Performance or Exos. Um, we probably spoke about a bit about it when we were at the Tigers as well. But the, the philosophy of the three P's of athletic development being position, pattern, power. Um, you know, um, position being able to, you know, have the mobility to achieve the positions you need to in your sports or within a movement, pattern being able to coordinate yourself in and out of those movements successfully, and then power being that force and velocity times, sorry, force and velocity into the continuum. Whereas probably a lot of us want to, which is, which is exciting, head straight to that last P in power and try and th- do things hard and fast and with a lot of load and things like that. Uh, but I think we have to be disciplined enough to make sure we, we get the first uh, two Ps done correctly. And then from there, you know, if we can be disciplined to really develop those first two Ps, then we can really focus on strength. And, you know, I have a very big bias that um, if you become stronger, everything in life becomes easier. And that's walking upstairs or performing your sporting actions um, or even persistence and resilience in life. Um, if you get stronger in the gym, everything in life becomes easier. So we have a very big strength focus, but we understand that that's underlined by um, mobility, stability, and coordination as well. Yeah, and you know they're, they're called foundations for a reason. If we think about what foundations are, it's that base. It's it's everything else is built off that. And if that's if that crumbles, then nothing else will really be able to be expressed properly. So by not being patient, you're all you're doing is cutting yourself short, either right now or definitely in the long term. Which is when you're working with youth, I guess is is a major priority is that long term development. Yeah, 100%. And exactly what you just said, like that pyramid's a, uh, an example, which I really love the pyramids. Um, you know, the bigger the base, the, bro- um, the breadth of it, as well as the depth, um, the higher that you can build the pyramid um, later and, and right now. But then also, I guess on the back side of the pyramid, um, you also have like the, what people call the dark side. And um, we like to call that, you know, compliance in the sense of, um, you know, you've got to adhere to the program and commit to the process. Um, for quite some time um, to be able to realise those foundations and, and build upon that pyramid. And I mean, I'm a big believer in you could do the best program in the entire world um, and not commit to it and you know, go into it in ebbs and flows, or you could have a really mediocre, if not bad program and commit to it uh, wholeheartedly and you're probably going to have better results. Yeah, exactly. A huge factor. Like if your mind's not in something and that passion's not behind it, then the results are never going to be the same. So I guess progressing on that, how, uh, I guess, how do you go about creating that, that adherence and that, that trust in the program, especially when you're working with, you know, youth who might see their favorite sports star doing a, a particular type of training and they want to do all these highly complex movements, but they don't have that base yet. How do you go about convincing them that this is going to help them in the long run without, you know, that delayed gratification type uh, thought process? Yeah, I think um, in around that, it, it is um, using questioning um, in the sense as well to um, help them, you know, find that long-termness that they're looking for. Um, you know, do you want to win a game this weekend or what's the end goal? What's your vision in your sport? Um, and when they can see the long-term nature of it, they feel a little bit less pressured to be the best right here, right now. Um, so bringing their minds to, even shifting their mindset to the long-term side of it rather than the short-term um, will help in that. Also, what we like to do or what we do in that um, process as well is build um, short short wins in there or small-sided wins in there that 
um, you know, they can see themselves progressing and, you know, you weren't able to do this two weeks ago. Now you, you can do it. So though he's being a little bit slow and you're not power cleaning a hundred kilos at the moment, um, you know, we are going to get there and here's the path. And we can show you the path, like objectively, here's the map. Here's what it looks like. This is where you are. Uh, we want to come up or down these levels to get you to where you are. And this is what it's going to take. But um, yeah, giving them little objective wins along the way um, and showing them a map is a really um, helpful um, way that we use to show them that we are taking them there. Uh, we're just doing it in a, in a responsible way. Yeah, I really love that. I think that's, that's super important. And the more we can show them the map, I think one, we need to have it first. I think that's something yeah, that coaches can not develop and not uh, think about and they don't have that long-term plan themselves. So that, that gets passed on to the athlete and they, they carry that doubt with them too. So our map is um, lucky enough. So at our gym at Integrated Bodies, our maps on our wall. Um, so we oh, cool. we have what two, four. We have eight threads um, from you know main functional movements, um, and then from there, um, from a body weight variation, limited range of motion, to starting at the start when you're nine year old, if you're that, or you're movement compromised, or you're in rehab, and then we have levels of progressions that go all the way down to having expectations about it, you know pull 2.2 times your body weight, um, you know, power clean 1.5 times and stuff like that. Yeah. What are those eight different threads? Uh, we have, we've recently introduced uh, a new one, which is pretty exciting oh, cool. um, to break away from the way that you and I would have done things back at the Tigers. Yeah. Um, so we have our, we have our squat hinge and lunge. Um, the recent addition to that was um, we hinge um, and that's different to our squat. And you know a lot about that, that if you, you know, a deadlift or, you know, a back squat, if you looked at it from a side perspective or a lateral perspective, actually quite similar movements. But um, anyway, uh, so we have our squat hinge lunge um, and then we've added our deadlift in there because, you know, our deadlift is different to our hinge, uh, the way that we move. So, um, and we've added the, the deadlift in there from a bit of a perspective that um, we're pulling things from the floor. Um, that's the really key factor that we're doing and it's, uh, it's from a dead weight. So it's a lot about bracing your core um, as much as our squat is about, you know, developing strength in your knees and ankles. Um, so there are four lower body threads. And then we have our horizontal um, push and pull and our vertical push and pull. Um, our uh, core threads are aligned with our upper body and we have mobility and or jumps that go with our lower body. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's, that's really interesting. And I think it's, it's nothing, something I haven't really heard people talk about before. Uh, the deadlift is, it's, it's very much an in-between pattern. Uh, you know, mm. there's even certain line chains of thought that say that the squat past a certain depth is a hinge uh, yeah. relative to, you know, what's happening at the hip and everything. So, yeah, being able to distinguish the difference there and, and just the, the mere essence of pulling something off the floor has its own unique properties for sure. And I guess that then ties back into what you said about the, I guess, maximizing that force at a certain, I guess, level or section of that thread and then moving on to the complexity, right? That, that kind of is yeah. how you progress it. Correct. Do you want to sort of explain that a little bit to people who can't sort of quite understand that, uh, you know, isn't yeah. it just about getting stronger? Like, can't we just keep progressing the squat forever? Isn't that going to carry over to sport better? Uh, yeah, did you want to talk us through how increasing the complexity uh, is another way to vary that and, and take us further. Yeah. And let's maybe, let's, um, you know, use the hinge, for example. Um, hinging being basically like um, hinging from the hips, our hip dominant patterns and things like that. But, you know, for example, what we talk about is, yeah, there is a ceiling um, when it comes to how that's going to transfer to sports. And, you know, usually that's relative to body weight, but sometimes there's, genetics that kind of like go past the norms and we can't allow that happen uh, to still you know progress and if people are stronger than the norms or the standards we let them to go forth but um, if we look at the hinge from when we first start external resistance so let's assume someone's you know 16 17 years of age we could start with a dumbbell rdl um, and we have a all of our exercises have a strength standard um, based on them relative to body weight that's going to allow progression to the next one so if we look at our dumbbell RDL, then we go to a dumbbell single leg RDL. Um, we go from developing the move pattern bilaterally and be able to have unilateral strength as well. Um, and then that's kind of like your permission giver um, to then go into the barbell. So all of our athletes have to earn the right for the barbell. You know, the barbell, you know, for, for our strength, uh, strength heads is a pretty sacred place, I think. I don't think you just get given the barbell. Um, 
So for our youth athletes, it's a big deal when you actually get to go over to the, uh, the rack and grab a barbell out instead of dumbbells and kettlebells. Then we'll go into a, um, a barbell RDL or a barbell um, hinge. Um, then from there, once we kind of get to something along the lines of we've gotten to 1.6, 1.8 um, times body weight for our hinge um, is our standard for our RDL. And that's when we can start kind of going down or sorry, upstream a little bit, adding complexity. So, you know, we say that 1.6 or 1.8 times body weight, it's that place where for an athlete, just say a hockey player or a rugby league player or a netballer can get to, and it's hard to get to there and there's still a strength process. Um, but anything after that, um, those, the smallest worthwhile gains aren't actually having um, that worthwhileness anymore. They're just smallest gains. Um, they're not so much worthwhile anymore. So if we add, things like velocity or coordination to the pattern. And then they're things that they can really transfer into their sports. So, you know, once we hit that strength set, then we can go into things like maybe like a power clean. Um, and then we could go into something a bit more friends Bosch is where we're sorry, where we're looking at like a single leg um, RDL into a kettlebell um, clean onto a box. You know, you're adding just that coordination pattern onto it where uh, they start, they can start looking like circus acts. Um, but in that though, you know, people have the right for that. And then we can run a bit of an undulating program that takes them, you know, through that base strength, absolute strength, unilateral strength, and then a little bit more coordination strength. And then we can kind of cycle through that process again, depending where they're at in their season and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, that, that's what I was going to ask. Like once you get to that top point or that, that peak of the complexity pyramid, you do will then cycle back through and sort of, I guess basically you want to check in that that strength is still there, right? And then and take it forward further if you need to. Yeah. Yeah, well, something that's really interesting that I guess that is different about youth athletes and working with um, professionals is that they're growing. Um, mm. So something that we've come to do uh, at Integrated Bodies um, at our gym is that every 12 months in January and the new year, everyone starts back to level three, um, no matter what, in the sense of um, you come back to the dumbbell RDL, you're probably you know, five kilos heavier, potentially, you know, three kilos heavier than the year before uh, as well. So all those standards relative to body weight have actually gone up as well mm. uh, because you've gone from 15 to 16 and that, that summer holiday period, I don't know if you can remember back to school, but you come back to school after those school holidays and, you know, people have got beards, people have grown up, people have got taller, like um, it's a really special time. So, you know, when people um, come back after their Christmas break, um, their standards have gone up because their body weight's gone up and they have to show us and have to earn the right again. And like we've seen it, um, a couple of times where um, people used to, you tell them they have to do 25% for a single leg squat to a bench um, of their body weight. Um, they get quite you know, anxious about it. Oh, that's impossible. I'm never going to be able to do that. Um, once there's a bit of social permission and you've let yourself um, see it or do it, um, you know, once we've restarted people, um, they, they get their goals within one or two sessions where it used to take them, you know, six weeks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a, that's a really important consideration. And, you know, the maturation is obviously something so important. You're talking leverage is different. And obviously rechecking that strength with your system there as well is something we need to constantly consider when working with youth. It's the body's change like drastically. Like I, I had a, a youth guy that I, I trained for a while in football, soccer, and he went overseas for six months. Uh, to play over in, where did he go first? He went England first and he came back and I think he grew about eight centimetres or something ridiculous. Yeah, wow. And then so when we went... a whole new skill then. Yeah, we went to go back into our, our speed training and his, everything had changed. Like his stride looked different. He just looked like a draft on a run. <laughs> Hope he's not listening yeah. if he has, but we know he's good now, so no problem. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's, it's something worth considering and, and retesting and re re-progressing through those, those different uh, threads as well. Yeah. Great. Uh, you mentioned in there that uh, 16 to 17 is when you start using external load. Is that where you will start or? Nah, so um, that's more or less kind of like on entry, um, depending on what happens through our screening process. Um, we have kind of safeguard just age brackets for a lot of our levels um, in the sense of, you know, if you're younger than uh, 12, you'll start with body weight. If you're um, 13 to 15, you'll start with uh, intro to external load, which is medicine balls and kettlebells for us. Um, and then if you're uh, older than that, you'll go straight to the dumbbells and start it, which we call level three, but you start with the dumbbell variations, get to the barbells within, within two levels. Um, but we have um, currently, because we've got our levels and our systems and, um, in line with the position standard with ASCA when it comes to youth resistance training. 
um, we've had, you know, 10, 11, 12 year olds come into the system, comp uh, commit wholeheartedly, go through the compliance and go through all levels. So, you know, we've got, you know, 12 year olds who uh, are on the barbell um, safely and securely with great technique. Um, that's because they've been with us for two years, laying their, um, you know, their standards when it comes to, you know, uh, body weight squatting, prison squatting, overhead squatting, single leg pistol squatting. Then we introduced the medicine ball and then the kettlebell and the dumbbell. And now they found themselves at the barbell. So, you know, once again, it's about earning that right. Nothing's, you know, given. Um, but, you know, just because you're young doesn't mean you can't earn the right either. Like if you commit and you look good doing it, um, then we can move forward. Yeah, exactly. Like if we just tried to base everything off age, that would just, that would leave some people just... Yeah. waiting too long to do something that they're more than capable of and others doing stuff that they probably shouldn't be doing yet. Yeah, correct. And that's the same that works back as well. If we have even like a 23 you know, year old athlete coming to our gym and, you know, their first level is a goblet squat, but you know, they're squatting horrendously. Um, we're not fearful to, you know, take them back to, you know, heel raised medicine balls with medicine ball reach and they can kind of re earn their right through that progress. Do you find you get much resistance from uh, parents and things like that when it comes to loading them up? Um, no, we haven't. They've asked a question um, and then we tell them kind of our system and our process in the sense of, you know, they've got to have movement mastery. These are the levels they go through. Once again, having that map up on the wall, and we can, you know, walk them through um, what's happening and why it's happening. Um, it's, it's, no, we haven't really had the issue because we've had the question on, hey, like, um, are they going to be doing weights? No, not yet. Um, but our goal is within three months, probably, yeah. And this is, but this is how we're going to take them there. And when they walk around the room, like at our, uh, in our sessions, it's, it's a class style, but it's individualized in the sense of, you know, everyone's doing a squat, but there's some people doing a bodyweight squat. There's some people doing a broomstick overhead, medicine ball, and there's some people, you know, front squatting the house down uh, on a barbell. So everything's individualized um, and they can see that very quickly that, you know, um, that their, their standards that they're up to, that's where they're going to be trained and they're going to be led through and guided through uh, making those progressions. Right, yeah. And that's where having that experience from, I guess, the pro sport gym uh, is probably carrying a lot of dividends where it's a kind of a similar, similar structure, right? Yeah. You learn to manage yeah. a lot of bodies doing different things within the same thing, same thread. Yeah. Same no, it does. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great. Uh, screening process did you want to take us through what you guys do as a screening process uh obviously it seems like it is an ongoing one that just happens as you progress through it but is there an initial one that you you go through to sort of identify anything really obvious or whatever that is yeah so generally one of the big things and hasn't really changed since our time of the tigers that i have um quite a big buy into is the whole idea that testing is training and then training is testing as well um we don't uh, at the moment, uh, we don't set aside um, a, a clear initial one-on-one um, screen um, because from us, that's 60 minutes that could be used in the training session. Um, so what we've done is built in um, a lot of the FMS also, I wouldn't say FMS, a lot of the movement screens, um, tasks, uh, tests and things like that are kind of built into our warm-ups. Um, so if we've got a squat day coming up, um, we'll usually do a bit of a squat sequence with anyone's familiar with um, the FMS, which is a corrective for uh, a squat pattern. Um, and we can see a lot of things in that. So if we look around quickly for a new athlete that comes in, if we do a squat sequence, um, <coughs> they can't get below parallel. They're on the toes, heels are off the ground. Um, thoracic's flexed while they're trying to put their arms overhead. Um, we know they you know, just say they're 17. Our coaches know because we're all upskilled that we know that we're probably not going to put them on the dumbbell to start with. We're just going to quickly go through a quick little check because um, we've seen that, hey, he'll raise medicine ball. How do you go with that? Nice, that looks good. Now let's put a kettlebell or a dumbbell in your hands and then we're kind of back to where we are because usually that uh, cleaning process of coordination or mobility um, is very neural and happens quite quickly. They just need to be guided in how to get there and, and that. So essentially our screening process is, yeah, like you said, ongoing built into the warm-up and we've all uh, we've got eyes on what's happening there because it could even be someone who is a superstar at a movement um, and he's been training with us for a long time uh, and we know what their squat looks like and in the warm-up their squat's not looking fantastic so um, we can have a bit of a chat to him how, how's the training load been yeah I'm pretty cooked all right fantastic let's take it pretty slow at the start here check everything and if it's not looking good let's regress for a little bit 
Yeah, nice. And I, yeah, I think that's something that uh, is, a, is a really good take-home tip is use the warm-up. Like as a coach, mm. obviously we're warming them up. Sure, that, that's a very practical use of warm-up, but it's also an opportunity to, to see what's going on, see how they're moving. You know, something seems off or, hey, what's going on? Like it could be, did they do some extra training? Is there something going on at home? Things like that. It's a really yeah. important stage for us as coaches to get that observation and get information about the individuals especially when you're working with groups or classes, right? Yeah, exactly. I think um, that came from all my learning on that space of like always watching your athletes, like no matter what. Um, Had two really cool stories from kids going through professional sports. Um, I think it was, um, there was a story at Penrith Panthers that the uh, head of performance would notoriously uh, sit at the driveway when all the players would walk in um, to training to sit there sipping his coffee and say, g'day to everyone. Um, and then a lot of people would be like, mate, you've got to get in there do some work. What are you doing? Is I am working. And he would watch everyone walk past, how they're carrying their football bag, how they're walking um, and things like that. So that was a bit of his initial movement screen that, hey, he's got a left limp. Um, he's carrying his bag a bit differently. Uh, he's a bit flexed, things like that. And then also um, Hayden Masters of the Waratahs um, could get on the nerves of some people. But I later found out that that was um, quite purposeful. Um, obviously, some family coming home at the moment, mate. Okay. I'm just going to see if they're all right. Yep. All right. Sorry for that, man. I had the family walk in and um, we're a bit upset that the grasshopper ran away. Um, but we're okay now. Um, and then, yeah, the other one was Hayden was a little bit um, known for being a little annoying. Um, but I found out later that that was for a reason. He used to purposely, when his training load started getting a bit high, um, try and uh, poke the bear a little bit. Um, and he used to find out that if they bit back or if they retaliated um, they could be pushing a little bit too hard so he had a bit of a screening process from a subjective nature as well yeah that's really interesting uh, sure it'll be a little bit of fun for him as well <laughs> yeah one day we'll play a bit back and I was like mate what are you trying to do and he goes mate he's overloaded we got to start pulling back now pre-season's on yeah like we, we know with ourselves when you fatigue you, you have less self-control you, you're not as good as reacting so that's, a, that's a great method of doing it uh, don't worry about the, the boring old subjective form where people are going to yeah. uh, lie or, or just say they feel great even if they don't. So, Yeah, the art and the science, mate. The art and the science, exactly. Uh, do you do any sort of any other like subjective uh, like daily assessment or anything like that or is it simply just based on your observation and communication? Um, when we were at the cutters, we would have a subjective questionnaire. Um, the players would fill out on a training day with... Um, well-being and soreness and things like that. Um, but then now just working in high schools just with the environment and the private facility, um, that's objective talking to them, but not so much um, from a data perspective. A lot of our data is our um, objective external loads and we do a lot of tracking through our strength. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot of sports science techniques, but if someone's not lifting uh, to their standard, uh, that's a pretty good sign. That's a pretty good um, objective measure of fatigue as well. Yes, plenty there. Like we talked about, I think, yeah, using that warm-up is a great... And, yeah, even just looking at the, the neurological aspect of, of mobility and things like that, there's going to be a sign, especially, I think, with the youth. When we're working with uh, maybe a, a more mature population, we may see some actual, like, genuine restriction there, but mostly with youth, it's going to be something neurological. So it's, it's a bit yeah, of a smoother process in figuring that out. Cool. So, uh, yeah, continuing to look specifically at the youth debt, obviously uh, you've mentioned how you progress the movements from more force-based to more complexity-based. How much of your thought process when dealing with those athletes is making the movement themselves uh, sport-specific, uh, whatever that really means within the gym? Yeah, no, um, I'm probably one of the, one of the, I feel in the bucket of coaches that I'm pretty fearful of trying to get sport-specific. Um, in that, that I think you know a lot of athletes put time and effort into their practice to improve their skills and their movement skills in a particular way. Then if we try and load that um, in a way that can, can change that development, I'm pretty fearful of that. Um, so the way that we probably get more sport specific is along the lines of the force and velocity continuum. Um, you know, unilateral, bilateral, um, co-contraction and things like that, rather than, hey, that movement has to look exactly like it happens in the, uh, on the field. Um, you know, we don't want to be doing, for our rugby union players, we don't want to be doing, you know, making our vertical press look like a line-out with 
bands and dumbbells and stuff like that. Um, they can practice their line outs on the field. For us, it's um, let's get our vertical press. Um, with look at the same hip, knee, and shin angles. Um, uh, improve that force. Maybe do add accommodating resistance because that load comes back down pretty hard once you know someone's over your head. Um, but let's just be smart where we do it. We don't want to replicate what they do on the field or the court because they put time and effort into that and we don't want to wreck those movement patterns. Yeah, I think that that's a, I guess usually in this space of conversation, the point that comes up is like, it's, it might not just be that effective, but what we aren't considering is, yeah, it could actually be detrimental. If you're trying to replicate something, but you're doing it slightly different, all you're doing is confusing that motor pattern, not actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the best examples of how it made sense to me um, coming through was if we look at a tennis player, like um, not all programs meant to be balanced. You know, if we look at um, any of the high level tennis players, there is going to be some level of hyperplasia um, on one side. And if you're a strength coach and you're trying to uh, balance all that out and you actually add mass to his other side, he looks a bit more sculpted and a bit more symmetrical with what that's done to the biomechanics of his swing. Um, like you said, could be detrimental. So, you know, we have to be specific in the task and developing qualities, but we don't want to take away from their performance. Once again, we're complementary training, not uh, the be all end all. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, definitely write that one down. Um, yeah, great. Uh, so just continuing along that same idea of specialization, we have, uh, I guess, the other side of it, which is just youth in general specializing in a sport. Um, do you see that as much of a, a problem where you are? Uh, and if so, is it something that you actively try to encourage uh, multi-sports multi or is it something that sort of happens really naturally uh, where you are? I think um, being in like a regional city or regional town, sorry, um, it's not so much of a problem um, in the sense of like, there's a lot of kids outside playing. There's a lot of space here in Mackay. Um, yeah, it's not like Sydney where you could walk somewhere and drive somewhere um, and get there at the same time. It's mm. um, sports and physical activity in general is, is huge here. So, you know, though we've got some fantastic hockey players, but um, they also like riding motorbikes. They also love going fishing. They also love climbing um, and stuff like that. So I think being in country towns, we're a little bit blessed that we're not kind of going down that specialised market too much. People always have a summer or a winter sport. If not, they're you know, doing a couple of sports in a season. Our probably battle is probably trying to not overload them or try and give them some guidance into um, not getting overloaded. And what I mean by that is rugby league, generally in Mackay for a junior rugby league footballer who's pretty good um, around March, April, May. That's a really tough time of year for them. Um, you know, you're finishing pre-season for your club um, from their school sports is starting. And then if you make a rep team as well, you could potentially be playing, you know, three games a week with some training sessions in there as well. So, um, for a 15, 14, 17-year-old body that's already gone through a lot of changes and probably a lot of external stress as well, not just physical, but, you know, social stuff, um, that's a lot of load. So just guiding people. I'm not saying that you can't do things, um, but it's just all about education and guiding. It's just like, have you thought of doing too much of this could actually be tough on your body, um, making sure that you're resting and recovering to support that load. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's great news. Like, it's, I guess it's something that we're lucky with just the way our, our sporting system is, is set up here in Australia, there isn't a huge scholarship market or anything like that where people are trying to get obsessively good at a single sport straight away. And it leads to that, that more variety, which helps them just develop as humans and develop, you know, better attributes in general, which carry over to that, that chosen sport eventually once they do, uh, do get there. So, uh, yeah. To yeah. Be and don't, don't get me wrong. Like, um, I well and truly um, believe that our movement should be varied um, in the sense of, um, you know, you don't, you don't want to specialise. Um, and the things, the risks, if people are listening that are concerned with that specialisation, one of the big risks is overuse injuries. If you do the same thing too often, we find that with long distance runners, I'm sure you're well aware of um, how long distance running feels, but that's a lot of running for one person to handle. Um, and it's not the weakness of your body too much, that though we can develop that, but you're expecting the body to do the same thing over and over and over and over again. Um, so if you, there is a compensation, you're exaggerating that. Where if, there's an exaggeration when I run, um, you know, I can balance out that exaggeration when I sprint or when I climb a tree or when I rock climb or whatever it is, it's, you know, breaking up that overuse and exposing it to different um, demands that kind of supports that rather than the fact of just practicing one sports bad for you. It's, it's what that overuse side of it is. Yeah. Yeah. You can, uh, my 
both my broken feet can uh, account to that. <laughs> You're insane, dude. You're insane. Separate runs, but yeah, they were, they were good fun, those ones. Uh, yeah. It's always nice waking up with a big ball on the top of your foot. Imagine. <laughs> well, uh, so uh, at Integrated Bodies there, are you doing a solely gym-based work? Uh, or is there also uh, like a field or, or track-based uh, element to it as well? Yeah, so um, I guess this year specifically around um, COVID and stuff like that, we've been going a little bit ebbs and flows. But um, traditionally, we would have um, in kind of school time, we'll have a speed or a conditioning class open as well, um, where we go out into the field and we do some work specific for mostly for field and cross sport athletes, team sports. Um, and then in school holidays, we always run a bit of a, uh, often run a school holiday intensive program where, you know, we'll look to get, um, you know, two to four lifts in a week, um, a speed day, a conditioning day, and then a recovery day at like a local pool or a bit of a stretch or something like that. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I really gained from our time working together was, was the way you coach speed. And uh, I'd love if you could share a little bit about, I guess, your thought process and your philosophy when it comes to developing uh, the attribute of speed. Yeah, um, I think it kind of blends it back over. I'm a very systems and process orientated guy and uh, I need boundaries, barriers and things like that to guide my, my efforts. Um, and in that is that same philosophy is position, pattern, power, um, all three of those components within running or, sorry, um, within any skill are you know, really important. So um, definitely have a really big piece on making sure that we can hit positions or we teach positions. Um, like A-frames, figure fours, extending out the back, um, things like that. And then we can pattern that with some coordination drills, whether that's um, skipping, variations, low knee skipping, high knee skipping, dead legs, lateral skipping, um, things like that. Um, and then from there, we can also add you know, that force and velocity, whether we've got bound starting, resistance work, uh, and exposing the tissues to what they need to get um, exposed to to be able to get the job done. Yeah, I remember the boys used to love the resistance work. <laughs> the banded marches yeah. up and down. <laughs> they really yeah. get some groans. I think they get some groans and um, I think people used to have a little bit of a laugh and then they still do. And I think that's a bit of part about coaching as well. That, I mean, if you try and get professional athletes to put a big resistance band about uh, around their hips and drag each other around a field and look like they're um, in the army, um, they can all have a bit of fun and giggle with it. Um, but then in time, when they find that their running's improving or their speed's improving, um, the buying's there. But once again, you just got to be able to have that fun with them. And if uh, you're the drill sergeant, you have to become the drill sergeant that day and a bit of pop, pop needed, you get after it. Yeah. Yeah, it's all fun and games with that one until someone lets go of the band too early. <laughs> that snap. Oh, yeah. You make sure the good quality bands for those. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the with the speed work there is uh, what is your uh, guess structure of like how you would periodize that throughout uh, a season like are you trying to hit certain checkpoints by certain parts of the season or is it truly just competency based? Um, it probably has to do once you're working with if I reflect more on time of the cutters and team sports to answer that question. Um, there's definitely um, time stamps um, and things that. You know, I allow myself to do earlier on in the preseason compared to later in the season, and, and therefore, um, so for example, you know, I'm pretty patient in preseason. I think you know, if you have six weeks pre-Christmas, six weeks post-Christmas with a um, sport, that's a lot of time for a preseason. Um, so from there, I think from a speed perspective, it's it's relatively risky sometimes um, if you don't get the progression right. Um, we have time, so we'll de- develop a lot of that position uh, pattern work early in the preseason. Um, where we'll probably then do a lot of like high resistance stuff as well to prevent that velocity. Um, and then we'll have a stage progression based off time for that rather than competency um, to get them through running at their higher velocities. And then from an in-season perspective, we'll, I'll always give, I'll always give athletes um, at least the opportunity to hit max velocity um, once a week as a protective mechanism. Um, from you know, if they get a 90 meter intercept in the game and they haven't ran fast for the last three weeks, that's relatively risky. Um, where if you give them the opportunity to run fast every single week, um, you're looking after them, and then also from that idea that testing is training and training is testing, is if you give them the opportunity and they're five or ten percent down, um, you know, in that speed exposure, um, that's just the red flags that add to the mix. So we're not going to make decisions based off that, but if they're not hitting their velocity which is essentially an objective 
um, you know, fatigue measure as well. If they're not hitting their velocity or getting close to their max velocity, given the opportunity, um, that's a question to ask what's happening with their loading. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, having a competency-based thing for something like speed is, is not really going to be practical because you're not going to say, well, you haven't hit your, your standards yet. Don't sprint in today's game. It doesn't work that way. So, No, exactly, yeah. So when you've got something else in control or um, a deadline or a due date, um, that if, you know, by our first trial uh, or even some games in at the end of pre-season, if someone's going to be hitting that one immediately intercepting, running away from their teammate, they want to be protected. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, that is something that I guess speed work can often get looked at as being, you know, if we do too much of it, that becomes a risk factor, but it's the same way that if you don't do enough of it, it also becomes, you know, a high risk factor too, because we need to be exposed to that. That is the greatest protection for speed-based injuries is running fast. Yeah, that's right. Now I've got a little um, musician ticking over the background. I hope it's not too, too intense or distracting. Um, but no, 100%. One of the biggest sayings that I love from um, that kind of Tim Gabbert research is, um, you know, training is a vaccine um, to, you know, sports-related injuries that if you replicate or go over and above the game demands um, in so many different categories, um, you're vaccinated for the stress that the game's going to put on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's that, it's that preparation. It's you know, it's all in the, it's all in the dosing. Uh, if you want to keep it along the medical medical analogy, there. It's once you get the dosing right, then everything is is both good for you and bad for you in, in that retrospect. So, and that's where the, the okay. art and the science coaching mix together. So, yeah, yeah, awesome, uh, Alex. Uh, one thing that I like to finish off uh, all of the podcasts with is getting some advice for someone who's just trying to break into the industry. It's, it's a daunting time. And like we talked about, you, you know, had quite lucky exposures. There's also just a lot of challenges when it comes to breaking into this industry and, and, you know, finding your success, whatever that means to you. So did you have any advice you want to share for, for someone in that position? I think a couple of ways to go about it. Firstly, I think um, from a character side is you just got to make sure um, you have a very clear understanding of your purpose and your vision um, because times will get tough, particularly early on. Um, and you've got to have um, the, the reasons why to get through those tough times. And if you aren't clear on those, you'll, uh, you'll fall for anything um, type of thing. Um, so once you're very, very clear and you're committed to the process, getting your hands dirty is um, the important part. I mean, education is fantastic, but um, that practical experience and that practice itself of coaching, whether that's the local under-12s team, or wherever you can get your hands dirty from a coaching perspective, make sure whatever you're trying to get to, you're practicing the skill set. I think humans found their, their way down a pretty bad rabbit hole that if you want to learn how to do something, they go read a book or they go do a course, which is great. Um, but they forget that skill practice perspective. You know, if you want to write a book, um, start writing, get better at writing. Um, don't read about how to write a book. Yeah. You gotta work, you gotta work through the process. It's it's that they don't just break off into each other black and white it's it's a blend and everything blurs together and you got to be in it to, to have that opportunity so yeah i think that's a really yeah, valuable I, advice and, yeah, i think in that space as well um you know stand on the shoulders of giants as well that um there's people out you out there sorry who have done it before you and um they're doing it at the same time and they're doing it after you so you know, lean on those people who are prepared to be mentors and you know, there are good people out there in the industry that will help you and will guide you. So just ask the question, don't be shy. And then always remember to support the people after you as well because uh, there's that little saying that on your way down, the people that uh, you help up are going to be the same people you go past and they're going to help you back up. So uh, make sure you're looking after people. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's really awesome. And that's something I want to resonate with as well is uh, don't be afraid to seek out help in the process. You've got to be doing the work yourself uh, but look for mentors, look for guides, because every time I've ever, you know, stepped away from that and then gone back to it, the growth is just exponential. And it's, 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 you know, you, we need to use the resources and there's, there's so many great coaches out there and yeah, just find one that you, you share a vision with, like you talked about, be clear on that vision and uh, you can go a long way. Uh, did you want to just uh, tell us how people can find the work you're doing and uh, sort of follow along with uh, your work and your coaching? Yep. Um, fantastic. So our um, gym uh, has an Instagram and a Facebook as well called Integrated Bodies. So I believe it's at Integrated Bodies uh, Gym. 
Um, you might need to double check that. There could be an underscore in there. But um, in the notes here, no and worries. then yes, fantastic. Thanks, mate. And then um, also my personal um, page on Instagram is um, at coach underscore Cortez. Um, pretty active there. Um, and that's probably the best way to go through my emails there and any type of contact details are on the Instagram as well. So um, that's probably the best bet. Awesome. And yeah, like I said, I'll put those in the, in the show notes so everyone have a, easy access to them. And I uh, just wanted to say again, yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate you coming on. And I, I know it was a struggle to get here, but we did get here. And uh, I appreciate your time, especially with the busy family there as well. No, mate. And yeah, if I was going to return that, and thank you for having me. And it's nice to talk to you again after so long um, and share ideas and learn from each other. It's fantastic. So thank you very much. Thanks, mate.